0: Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 119, and we're going to be in verses 33 through 40 tonight. I've looked over many, uh, about five different commentaries, and a couple things online, and listened to sermons throughout the week of, of, different people who who have preached through this. And typically, actually, I haven't found many that have gone uh, stanza by stanza. Actually, I have found a couple that have gone stanza by stanza, but usually they they'll take like a group of uh, you know, twenty verses or so, or more, um, and kind of walk walk through those. Actually, sixteen verses, since they're split up in eight, um, and walk through two different sections. But if you if you really consider the eight things or the eight verses as as we have split them up into now uh, of of the psalmist and what he has written, uh, it is deep, and it's it's almost impossible to do. The things that are written in just that small little verse of the larger poem. And tonight there are six things that are me associations. And if you look at uh, verse 33 tonight, and if you look at the first few words of each of the subsequent verses except 39 and 40, the first words in 33, teach me, 34, give me. 35, lead me, or uh, that word can also be direct me, and I'll I'll look at that uh, later. Incline my, or incline me, and then confirm to your servant, confirm me. It's all about what the psalmist wants God to do in his life, or for him. And the things and the concepts and the truths that are in here are difficult, because we can't live up to it. We just cannot live up to these things. And so tonight, I, if you're going to give a title, I know Pastor does the, the thesis of you know the, the sermon and, and titles it and everything, but I, I was thinking about what, what encompasses all of these things and it's just simply take over, take over, take control. I, I relinquish my hands off the dials, off the controls, off the stick, take control. So tonight, I want you to think of these things with me as if you were going to give God complete control of your life. What would that look like, and are you doing that? And if you are, how much control do you give God? I'll start with this example. We'll pray, and then we'll get into the text. My kids up uh, in Door County really like to drive a golf cart that the Robbies have. They have a golf cart and from time to time we plug that thing in and we take off and we drive. And um, we'll just tour around and whatever and uh, I, I wasn't there to witness this, but Weston uh, likes to drive the golf cart. Now, any of you think it'd be a great idea to just put Weston in the steering wheel if he could touch the gas and just go? <laughs> Russ Hempsey, he's the only one, of course. <laughs> Uh, several of you kamikazes appreciate that, but he he has no real concept of the danger that he could be in if he steers wrong or if he doesn't hit the brakes or you know does something that would not be appropriate in that in that context, and not to mention pedestrians or pets or other people's cars or anything that's in there. If if Weston had complete control at this point in his life, he just turned five. None of us would really want to be in that vicinity because of the damage that could be done because he doesn't have the capacity to understand what's going on. So those of you who are experienced drivers, defensive drivers, who are in control at all times and own the road, I wonder if you have your spiritual life in the same control. If you decide where God steers you because you let him steer you in that one spot or is it a matter of I'm going to get in this seat and whatever God does in my life from here on I'm going to strap the seatbelt in and then I'm going to say something like this. Teach me. Give me. Incline to me. Lead me. Turn me and confirm me in every way. God, take over. What would that do to your everyday living and the decisions that you're going to make, even during this sermon, where you hear some things and some truths and some concepts? Or is it something where it's like, for a moment, you let off the steering wheel and then you put your hands right back on, because you have to live how you want to live in your week? Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would come through tonight and that it would be powerful and not me. I pray, Lord, that you would give um, free reign in our hearts, and I pray that we would relinquish control of the things that we think are so important and the things that maybe we think we have to control, but really, we don't have to steer anywhere. We just have to understand that our faith is small and that we need to grow it so that we can give you more control of our life, so that we might make a difficult decision that needs to be made. We may have to change something in our life, even tonight, right now, as we are thinking about what the psalmist is trying to get through and and what he prayed to you. Lord, I pray that you'd give me wisdom as I speak. your name, amen. Go to verse 33 through 40. We'll read this together, and then I'll make some comments on some verses, some insights that I've gleaned. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, And I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things or unworthy things and give me life In your ways, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, in your righteousness, give me life. In verse 33, you see this beginning of Teach me, O Lord. We've actually seen that three other times in the first uh, parts of this psalm, either teach or instruct, in that idea of kind of an educational type scenario where you are a pupil or a student and you are being taught. And the psalmist often goes to that as a phrase to begin things. And you may ask the question, why is he so repetitive by just saying, teach me, teach me, instruct me, teach me? Well, let me ask you, How do you approach every day as a sinless human being? Are you sinless every day? Or do you have to ask God every day, if you're going to really attempt to do what he wants you to be and uh, what 1 Peter talks about, be holy as I am holy, do you have to go to him every day and say, God, I am going to make a conscious decision. Please keep me holy today, right? Because if you don't, doom is already on you. You're going to fail completely. You, You won't have that ability. And the psalmist here, even though it's a prayer or a song or part of this poem that he has constructed, says, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, he realizes that there isn't, because he understands how knowledgeable God is, there is no limit that he can hit where his mind can't be enlightened as a human. He he can learn more from God every day and about the heart of God every day, and so he begins this penitent section again by saying, teach me. Commentator John Calvin says this the main thing in our life consists of having God as our governor. Does he govern everything you do? And the decisions you make, is he part of that structure in your daily life where you would say, Yes, God helped me make that wise choice? Yes, God taught me to, that I would have done this, but now I'm gonna make this choice. Does he govern you? In later verses, there's a word here that says direct or Uh, uh, lead me. Does he govern you? Is he on top of you? Do you let him have that authority? Or is it something where, again, you paint your box and God can have certain parts of it, but you, you really know it all. You really have everything down. And so if you know the basics and you're not a babe in Christ, then you're done, right? You're done learning. You've, you, you can give to others. You can receive a little instruction. But we don't want to show that we are not, you know, we, have a, we haven't arrived. Because, of course, the mature Christian, we've arrived, right? We know it all. You're talking about a king. I think it's David. Who God loves and has a great relationship with back and forth. And he expresses the need. Be taught how hungry are you to be taught by the word of God and again many of the uh, former sections have talked about the fact that I long for your precepts I long for your truth I want teach me your truth those types of things he knows he can't survive spiritually without that And he gives this huge, huge emphasis on this. Well, in this particular verse, he says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it. And then there's this phrase, to the end. What is that? To the end. Uh, The King James Version says, unto the end, or until the end. Uh, The NASB says, or uh, I think the NASB said something like, unto or until the end. Regardless, it's a preposition. And the preposition here um, has... It, the Hebrew word is ekeb, E-K-E-B, and it means or has a meaning of a reward or a wage. Well, read it this way. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to or for my reward or, or for my wage. That kind of turns it a little bit, and does that mean that we are doing or learning so that we can be rewarded? Or, and in, in the way that I have, I have uh, seen this, It's more of an attitude or has a heavy meaning that includes a constant thought or heart attitude instead of a wage or a reward in that, which some people say that that's what it is. But we we don't get taught to have a reward. For instance, in high school, I know that I would have better participation if I said, you get an A on this test and you get 20 bucks. I can guarantee you, we would have great participation on most of our academics. Well, why don't we do that? We, we may, as a, as a parent, say, we well, get A's in your report card, I'll give you five bucks for an A, three bucks for a B, and, you know, whatever that. That, that might be okay. But why don't we, as our public schools or Christian schools in America, pay kids to actually achieve? Why don't we do that? That's crazy, right? How much money would that cost? I mean, we're already spending a lot on education. That would just jack it way up. And all your taxes would go sky high. None of us want that, we can't afford that. Why don't we do it? Because we don't learn for monetary reward instantly. Now, there may be a career or something else out there that that would give us uh, that opportunity, but we don't learn for a monetary reward. I can guarantee you that as Rory goes to his classes in the next week and he sits and he takes his first quiz and if you're a test and he gets an A, he's not gonna go up to Professor Dr. Bowder and say, where's my 50 bucks? He's not gonna do that because that's not the expectation. So it's not a wage in that regard, it's more of a heart kind of attitude that he is driving at. So when he says, "My, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it until the end, it's because he knows he's human. He knows he needs teaching every day if he's going to even make it to the end, and he recognizes that God is the supreme instructor, and he must submit himself unto that teaching. And what is the reward? It's well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, there's a gap there. You can't know everything about God and he doesn't let you know everything. He has given us a window to see him. and That's through God's word and the things that has been done in the Old Testament. And what happens from where you are spiritually and where he is in glory is filled with mercy and grace. It's there for you. Who are you to say, I've learned it all. I don't need this anymore. I don't need God's word. After all, I teach a Sunday school class, and they listen to me. And a kid got saved under my teaching. Or I've taught an adult Sunday school class, and I've studied, and I know this book better than anybody else in this, this, you know, uh, trimester. So what? So what? Do you know all the thoughts of God? And more importantly, are you actively asking him, teach me? Teach me, Lord so that I may have the reward in the end. So as we look at this, it's more like until the end. And I, I do like the King James Version, the word until instead of the ESV in this in this um, way, because it gives, it gives a meaning. It's, it's, not, it's not that I've already come and I've attained it. It's that it's still a, pro, a process, excuse me. Verse 34, give me. So we have teach me. Teach me what? The way of your statutes. And then give me, give me what? Wisdom and understanding. Notice he says, give me wisdom that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Now the word whole heart means with everything I've got. And it really means with eyes, ears, every sense that you have that I will appreciate God in that that way. And notice though, in verse 34, he gives two impossibles. He says, give me understanding that I may keep your law. Could anybody keep the law? No. So that's impossible number one. Look at impossible number two. And observe it with my whole heart. Can anybody observe God's law with their whole heart? Constantly. No. Two impossibles he asks for. Why does he start with teach me <laughs> and then go to give me? Because we need it. It's a free gift that he gives. Two impossibles. One was the wisdom of God. And the second one is obedience of a whole heart. And both of those combined, I think, can really be wrapped in the sum of an obedient life lived to God. It is an obedient life lived to God. And if you do that, you know you're not going to be able to fulfill a perfect life. You're not going to live perfectly. And notice he requests, give me that. I can't do it on my own. I must have it as a gift. And God, you must give it to me because I cannot do it on my own. See, he recognizes that he is under God. He is not over him in any way. He recognizes that there's a relationship and a place for him under the authority of God. And that's where he's living right now. And that's his heart. I can't do this on my own, God. I need to be taught. And you must give me the wisdom that only you can give me. He says that. In verse 34, wisdom, that I may keep your law. What was God's law? Obviously, in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of things that they had to abide by. What is it for you and me? We're under grace. We take advantage of that because we say, well, everything is okay for us as long as we don't offend somebody else. Be careful that you don't take this penitent prayer and apply it in a very worldly way by saying, because I, God has given me grace and mercy and forgiveness, I can live how I want, and then I can quick make the change and say a few words and forgive, ask forgiveness, and, and I am good. It's a life lived in that attitude. Look at verse 35. 35 says, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it, in, in uh, the King James Version, again, which I, I, I read through about four or five different versions to kinda, and, and that helps me because it, it gives me different uh, pictures in my mind as to what uh, the author is trying to say. I really appreciate the KJV in this by saying, direct me in the way of thy statute, for in it, that truth, does my heart take pleasure uh, the ESV reads, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. And I'm not trying to say that one is better than the other or whatever, but I, I, for my mind, the, the importance of the word direct is, is harsher in some ways than lead. And, and let, me, let me explain why. In the first verse that we looked at in verse 33, he says, teach me, then he says, give me and, and there are two kind of uh, thought processes there that teach me I'm under leadership, uh, give me understanding from somebody that I can't, I can't really get from um, on my own. And the, the idea of lead me is good, I, I, and I think that's what direct means. But I, I see it more as, in listening to Tony and Van in their, their um, Joshua class, the idea of, of warfare comes into play here. A direction is something that they would get, and you could not disobey it. And if you're the psalmist, he had been given directions, and he could not disobey the Lord. He couldn't go against his God, and he was using this kind of attitude as he prayed it. He said, direct me. In other words, give me the instruction that I, I, I can just look at and go off of, and you place me where I need to be placed. Unfortunately, that's not how our, our lives go. We, we just wander. We just we just kind of do our thing. And if we run into God a little bit here, great. God a little bit there, great. But this is this is important. Direct me in the way of thy statutes, for in it does my heart take pleasure. So the first part of it does, and I, I think the ESV makes a good choice by saying lead, because that's definitely the the uh, the descriptive word that comes from this. But the second part is what's interesting, because if you read this verse, he says, lead me or direct me in the paths or lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it or the KJV says direct me in the paths of your statutes for it does my heart for in it does my heart take pleasure how can your heart take pleasure in god word things how does that happen it's only through salvation right because if you didn't have salvation would you think that the christian life is something to be really you know you know you go crazy about no, none of you would. I would not, and maybe you would, but, but I'm weird. I would not. I would, I would look at the Christian life and coming to church on Sundays and giving 10% or more to the church is like, what are you doing, you know? That's crazy. You're nuts. Why, why do you meet together? That, that's crazy. You should, I don't even understand that. And the world looks at it as it's just a club, right? It's just something you're doing. But we have this relationship with God, So how in the world do I get this pleasure, my heart-taking pleasure in the statutes of God or the truths of God? Well, the key is this. You must be led or directed by God. That's the prerequisite. You cannot, it's impossible for you to take pleasure in Godward things or holy things, church activities, if you're not led by God and the Holy Spirit because at the root of it, it would be totally selfish. You're here for somebody else or something else or some type of gain that you could get. That's not the point. The point of assembling together is not just encouragement, but it's rebuke. It is harsh words saying you're wrong maybe. It's you need to change. It's you need to think about what you're doing with your family life and and the things that go on outside of this place. It goes deeper than just an hour in the morning and an hour here at night. How do you take pleasure in God's statutes? You cannot do that unless you are actually being directed by Him, led by Him. Where you have a penitent heart where you say, give me understanding and wisdom. Teach me your statutes. Because if you don't have those as part of your arsenal, what you would pray to God, I don't know what you would talk to him about. Daily things? Things you want? Your list of goodies that you know, you know you'll never get, but you might as well ask him? I don't know. commentator says this, for it is an indication of rare excellence. When a person so arranges his sediments and affections, that's his insides, I mean everything in his heart, in his gut, in his mind, his sediments and affections, as to renounce all the enticements pleasant to the flesh and take delight in nothing so much as in the service of God. Can you say that? I cannot. I cannot say that my entire life, I pleasure, I delight in God's, in God's service and in God. I cannot say that. And if you're truthful with yourself, I can stand up here without being struck by lightning and say, you can't either. There's no way. There is no way. So how do you rectify that situation? Well, the answer is in the verse. You must be directed and led by God. And you're saying, well, what does that look like? I come to church, I hear the preaching of God's word, I listen, I do change, but is that only limited to a certain time segment in your week? See, that's not what the psalmist is doing. Read this entire psalm by yourself three or four times over in one sitting. And I will guarantee you, you will come away going, this guy desired God. God. Always. There's no way you can read this and go, that's like a one-time thing. There's no way. What is Scripture trying to give you and me? An admonition to do the same thing. To get a hunger and thirst for God. So what's the indication that you would give? Are you one of those rare people where every sentiment and affection is, is to renounce all of the enticements of this earth and flesh? Is that who you are? Is that who you are to your workmates? Is that who you are to your children? Is that who you are to your family? Does everything about you come off and go, he or she is, I mean, aimed at God? And everything they do in their family is, the arrows are pointed to God. Let me tell you, that is a tough thing to do in this day and age. It is not easy. That's why I cannot even stand, I have a hard time going to a mall, turning the TV on. Where all the movies that we even have in our own home, where the advertisements before the feature film comes on, and it's like worldliness, evolution, flesh-pleasing stuff that makes us laugh, that's good, that's funny, that makes us laugh, but. Okay, if you read this and filmed yourself reading this, how many people would rent it from family video? Not many. Let me, let me make this statement. As we think about this idea of pleasure, okay? Pleasure, in this sense, is in opposition to lust. Lust. See, there's a lust, but that's driven usually through flesh. It's what I lust after. It's my fleshly desire. But pleasure in the work of the Lord in your life, and just in Jesus Christ, is pleasure. And that's what the psalmist here is trying to get at. He wants to pleasure in God's law and his word. How do we do that? (laughs) You get rid of the lust of the flesh. And you pleasure in God's word. How do you do that? You ask God to teach you. To instruct you. To lead you. Incline you. Confirm you. All those things that we're we're talking about. An individual can understand a truth. Like I can give a truth to my kids and say God is love. doesn't mean they comprehend the full, vast, you know, everything about that. And an, individ- an individual can understand a lust. I can understand a lust of the flesh that I have, maybe with my eyes or my heart, that's something I want or some, some covetousness that comes out in me. I don't have to go through with it, but I can understand the pull. Which one pulls you more? The Truth or the lust? The commitment to Christ or the commitment to doing things that you know will not last for eternity? Would you walk the four hours in the rain, sit on a bus with a bunch of drunk men, just to go to a church out in the middle of nowhere in Nicaragua because you know that that is where God would have you? What if America was like that? Would you make that commitment, or would you fade into the fabric that that culture is or what we are? Verse 36 says this, Turn. My eyes from looking at worthless things and give my life, or give me life in your ways. Yeah, you know, the first, the first phrase of that, of uh, turning my eyes. I'm sorry, I'm in, uh, I, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, verse thirty-six. Incline my heart. That makes more sense. <laughs> Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Obviously, has again this idea of, uh, this this um. Look and desire for God. Well, a couple questions. How is your thought in life? How would you react in the flesh to hard situations? What are your daily routines? Do they inhibit you from doing this and inclining yourself to God? Or is it something that you have to fight every day like, oh, man, I just, I totally blew it. I'm not, I haven't even thought about God. I haven't even thought about what my life is like to him. Are you inclining? There's a Hebrew word here. Uh, it's B A S. Excuse me, B A T S A N G. Don't know how to pronounce that. Bastang, maybe. Uh, which is the idea here in the in the part of the selfish gain? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In other words, not to. Uh, this word actually means to violence or to uh, covet or to defraud somebody. So he's saying, incline my my life and my heart to the godly precepts and truths and principles. That you have taught me, and not to what I would think about somebody if they hurt me, or what I would want, covet, or I just flat out want to destroy somebody. To selfish gain, right? He <laughs> says that. So in verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. What are God's testimonies? The things that he has taught him, and not to selfish gain. Is that the first person that you are going to help support is you, then you're not obeying this verse. And again, it's an impossibility. Verse 37, it's an easy one. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, but the hardest probably to do. How many worthless things do you see a day? I'll bet you couldn't even count them. In fact, I will challenge you, as you think about worthless things, there are so many of us that are blinded about actually what is worthless that we don't even recognize it as worthless anymore because we've seen it so often. What is worthless? Anything that is not God. That is what is worthless. Anything that is not of this truth, that's worthless. He says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Why does he make this request many times over in the psalm in Psalm 119? Is because again, he can't do it on his own every day and only ask one time. It's impossible. It's impossible. Verse 37, does Satan only have, uh, if Satan only had, a published list of the traps that he would get a believer in, did you realize that if we had that, if we knew his plan, that we wouldn't need necessarily the power of Jesus to navigate around those? Because if we could memorize something, we're good at that. We, we can navigate around problem areas and we could probably you know, do that if we knew the, the entire list. Why, why didn't God give us the list of snares? Why is the Psalm, psalmist asking for him to keep his eyes away from worthless things? And the reason is Satan has an endless arsenal waiting for just you, it's endless. And if we knew the list and we could try to keep things away, we wouldn't be dependent on God. We wouldn't have to ask him forgiveness because if we knew that and he gave us the ability to walk around that, we wouldn't need God at all. You have to understand the importance of this, this verse. It means that we need God. We have to have him because our eyes are turned to worthless things constantly. We have many gates in our, uh, in our bodies uh, whether they're, and probably the three that get me in the most trouble would be my eyes, my mouth, and my ears. Because eyes, mouth deal with feelings and all those things. My ears, what I hear really starts to get things jumbled up inside. If I didn't have any of those it'd probably be a little bit easier for me to live life in a normal you know, not so grumpy way because I wouldn't know what's going on. I mean, it's kind of hard to watch the news or listen to Somebody yell at you or get upset at you or offend you if you can't hear and you can't see anything. You know, we have to have braille offenses or what? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't, you, you would have less opportunity. The fact is we all have those senses. And the fact is we often walk into those snares. If Satan gave us a published list, that'd be great at first glance. But at second glance, it would be the worst thing for you and I. Because we would have to be, or we would become less dependent on God. And we must be dependent on God. That's what he says in verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. That's a huge statement. I need life, but it's going to come from your ways. How do I do that? You've got to keep my eyes clean. All the outlets that I have in my body, I need clean. Clean. I cannot take that stuff in. And if I do, I just open myself up. And the sin is going to grow like cancer. It will not stop. Next two verses. Uh, Well, he says confirm. Verse 38. Confirm it, your servant, your promise, that you may be feared. The idea of being feared is reverenced or respected. In other words, make it so true in my life that this fleshes out, that this lives in me so that there is a reverence for you. Others may see that you exist, God, that you are real, that you are powerful. Again, I ask, how many of us, and I point the finger to me, I say us, but I'm really pointing to me. What about me? Do I fear God so and respect him and love him so deeply that everybody around me knows and just can see? And almost as like, you know, walk around like eggshells around Shafe because he, he loves God. He just loves him. And he'll tell you if you offend something concerning God. And ashamedly, I can't always say that. He ends this, verse 39 and 40, turn away the reproach that I dread. And I love this phrase, for your rules are good. Sometimes we think, well, we don't live on rules anymore. Or we say the statement, something like, rules were made to be broken. God's rules weren't. I'm sorry to tell you that. His rules were made to be obeyed, reverenced, and respected. If you don't know God's rules, it's probably a good indicator that you have let worthless things come in and invade. If you're murky on what the Christian life looks like and who you should associate with and the things that you should be involved in and the things that you shouldn't be and you're like, well, I can justify that and I can justify this, but perhaps just look, just look a little deeper underneath the blanket you don't want to lift up and ask yourself, do I have the heart for God? Is my pleasure in God or am I finding my pleasure in the selfish things and the things that are worthless of this world? Because God's rules are good. He says this in verse 39. Turn away the reproach that I dread. For your rules are good. I don't want to be punished. By the way, God's judgment and his righteousness are good things too. They're damning to the the sinners that don't believe. They are, and I'm sorry. But his rules are good. And if he doesn't have righteousness and he doesn't have the opportunity to judge, then where does that leave us? It leaves us nowhere. we're, We're lost anyway. Believing a lie. And finally, verse 40, behold, he repeats what he says again in verse 33, I long for your statutes. In your righteousness, give me life. Again, I've made this point before, and I think if I were to give a thesis or a a, a statement that I see throughout the entire Psalm 119, and, and through other psalms for that matter as well, is that he bases his entire life, his life, I mean, actual breath and his blood pumping and his heart going and his mind, everything working just like it should biologically, he bases his life on knowing God's word. Did you take that pill today? Did you take the water and the food that God gave you? Is it going to make an impact on your life? I don't know about you. The older I get, the more I realize what God has done for me, it doesn't become easier to take that pill. It doesn't become easier to make my life more dedicated to him because the surroundings around me are just as hard as they'll ever be. The temptation is more and more and more. but I would hope that your prayer and my prayer would be something like this. God, teach me, give me, lead me or direct me, incline me, turn me, confirm me. Like Paul said, that I would be a new creature created in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new so that I can live. Say what Paul said, And the idea that if I am present here, great. And I will work for God and God alone. But to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord, so much more glorious. I long for that. But not all the time. I wonder if you're in the same boat as I am. Which means, okay, here's the application. You can't stay there. You just can't stay there. If you literally are sitting here listening and going, yeah, that's that's me all the time, who better to share the burden of getting out of the trap than the people that are sitting right here? Who better to lay the burden on than all of us share each other's burdens? Make real changes that are going to make impactful changes into our families and our actual lives. And so we don't keep putting the blanket over and over and over and over the problem. Because what that does is that just proves that Satan's winning the battle in your heart and in my heart. He cannot win. We should not let him win. It should not be our goal to let him win. Man, we should have a burden for that. So that when we read Psalm 119 through couple times we go yeah that's right that's right I agree with that and I'm going to do that we read the Bible from cover to cover maybe we just crack the Bible open for the first time in a while we say that was that was good I'm full my cup is getting full God would expand our heart he would expand our thirst for him our hunger for him I've gone too long.